Thank you for reading God's word to us this morning. Well, today we're starting a new sermon series in the book of Galatians. And uh, Paul wrote this letter to uh, the Galatians. Uh, and the kids uh, in the service might have a, a, an activity sheet. And on that activity sheet, they might find a map of an area with a circle on it, which is a group of cities where the Galatians were from. And so Paul, the apostle, was actually writing not just to one church, but to a group of churches in the same area. And so for the kids in the service, please feel free to uh, read along in your own Bible or use the activity sheets to help you listen. Well, in the passage we're looking at today, Paul speaks to the Galatians about how they are so quickly deserting the truth. And it turns out the last time I stood up here to teach any part of the Bible was at KidZone a few weeks ago. KidZone is our weekly kids club. And I was teaching from Exodus about the golden calf, similar to the story that we just uh, looked at. And as I was teaching, I was quite surprised with the reaction of the Israelites and how quickly they deserted God. It turns out what we have read in Galatians just now uh, is not something that is new. It seems as though there is a tendency to want to turn back to the way we once were. Well, when I was teaching at Kids Zone, I couldn't find a golden calf. It's not surprising we don't have idols here. So I couldn't find myself a golden calf. So I got myself a Lego cow. And as I'm teaching, I was holding up this Lego cow. And I think the Lego cow made the story all that bit more strange. I thought to myself, how crazy is this? What's going on in this story? Why are the... Israelites worshipping this thing. And so I thought it would be good for us to take a quick look at that story in Exodus. Um, it comes from Exodus chapter 3. Sorry, Exodus chapter 32. And so while you're keeping a bookmark in Galatians, please turn back with me to Exodus chapter 32. So far in the book of Exodus, we've read how the Israelites have been rescued out of Egypt. They've been in Egypt for over 430 years, and quite a lot of this time they have been enslaved. And they cry out to God, and God hears their cry, and he begins his great rescue plan. And by the time we get to chapter 32 of the story of the golden calf, God has already said to them, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. And we see that that's exactly what he's done. He brings them out of Egypt, he rescues them, he um, takes them through the Red Sea, but after he does that, the Israelites begin to whinge. They whinge about the food that God provides them, and they want to return back to slavery. They whinge about the water that God provides for them. And they want to return to Egypt, back to slavery. And then we read this in chapter 32, starting from verse 1. 
When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. I mean, am I the only one here that thinks, what is going on here? Like, how can they be so ridiculous? I mean, how can they turn away from their living God? Well, we read in verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. Now, let's come back to our passage today in Galatians chapter 1. And look with me at verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Just as Moses was astonished that the Israelites, having been rescued from slavery, would so quickly abandon God, and wanted to return back to slavery and turn to other gods, so here Paul is astonished that the Galatians are so quickly deserting him who called them and turning to another gospel. Turn with me as well to chapter 4, verse 8. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? Paul, in this letter to the churches in the region of Galatia, is astonished that after having been freed from slavery, they would so quickly desert the one and only true God, who's freed them, and so turn back to other gods, turn back to slavery once more. And so he wanted the Galatians to remember the truth about the gospel, and to not be persuaded by those who would add to it, to not seek the approval of man over God. 
and to not forget what God has done for them to free them from their slavery. This letter is a word of warning to the churches in Galatia. And it's also a word of warning for us here today. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have revealed this amazing truth about your son Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to your will. Help us to hear your truth clearly today, that we may not be quick to desert it. Give us the willingness to change the way we live as a result of what your word has to say. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, there's said to be approximately 4,200 different religions in the world at the moment. 4,200, that is a lot of different things that people believe. Here in Australia, we might not have that many religions, but we do still have quite a few different religious groups. But I think that you would agree with me that that is a lot of religions. And it turns out that in the future, we're more, most likely going to have more religions. Because you see, it's not actually that difficult to start a new religion. If you Google how to start a religion, you will find an easy three-step process to start your own religion. And WikiHow helps you do this, and it explains a new religion may be necessary if you feel this way. Look on the screen before you. This is what WikiHow says about how to start a religion. Are you dissatisfied with existing religions? Have you been, become fed up with the lack of tolerance within existing religions? If you are inspired to create change, you can start your own religion. Starting your own religion is easy and rewarding, it says. And the process is really simple. Three parts. There's always three parts. Part one, plan your religion. Part two, earn legal status. And part three, increase your membership. And before you know it, here in this world, we will have 4,201 religions. It's not difficult to make another man-made religion, is it? But what can it achieve? Because I can guarantee you this. If you went out and made another man-made religion today, it would not fix the fallen human condition. Paul explains here that man-made religions can't free people from their slavery to sin. Another religion cannot and will not deliver us from this present evil age. So look with me what Paul says again in verses 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, Google might estimate that there is approximately 4,200 different religions in the world, but that statistic is wrong. Paul says here that there is only one true religion. 
See, because the definition of a religion is the belief and worship of a superhuman power or God. And because there is only one true living God, then the worship of him is the only true religion. There is only one God that can be worshipped. So every other religion, every other gospel is completely fabricated and a distortion of the one true gospel. See, the belief that you can worship another god, whether it's a golden calf or another man-made thing or idea, is a perversion of the worship of the true living and holy God. In Galatians, Paul here expresses his astonishment that the Galatians could so quickly abandon the gospel, the gospel that was preached to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what he has done for them, and how he has changed their lives, how he redeemed them by his death on the cross and saved them to new life, and how anything other than this is a foolish waste of time. In fact, later in this letter, Paul actually calls the Galatians themselves fools to have been led astray, to follow anything other than the truth that God has revealed in Jesus is absurd, and Paul will have none of it. He is completely perplexed that anyone could hear the gospel, believe it, and then just throw it away, all for the sake of a lie. If they are believing a distorted gospel, then they are believing a man-made religion, and so they are no longer following God's gospel, but instead man's gospel. So read with me again what Paul says about the one true gospel, starting from verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul begins by explaining the true gospel, and that it is not man-made, but comes from God. It is God's good news that has come through Jesus Christ, the good news of how God raised his son from the dead. It is the good news of how Jesus took the punishment that we rightly deserve for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. And Paul reminds us that Jesus did it all according to the will of God, our God and Father, who deserves all glory forever and ever. Friends, this is the true gospel. This is the good news. This is God's great rescue plan for us so that we can be freed from the punishment of sins 
and delivered from this present evil age. And so I ask you, are we in danger of so quickly deserting this gospel? Are we tempted to turn to a different gospel? Not that there is another one. Are we tempted by a distorted gospel? See, very few people ever just wake up one morning and decide, I'm just going to abandon the Christian faith. That's not how it works. Rather, over time, they come to accept a distorted gospel from other people. And so what Paul says in verse 7 can happen to us as well. He says in verse 7, There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. When the gospel is distorted, it means that we no longer see it clearly and we no longer believe what it says. That Jesus is sufficient once and for all. Paul is very clear here that if you are hearing and following a gospel that is not about the grace of God in Jesus Christ, then it is not really the gospel at all. And this is a challenge for us today because we will hear people who will call what they are saying the gospel. People will use the same language as we do to describe what they're calling the gospel. But if it is not based on the gracious gift we receive from God through Jesus Christ, who then gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, then it's not really the gospel at all. Even though they would like to tell us and assure us that it is the same gospel. It is not. These so-called other gospels are no longer about the way that we are saved by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Rather, they add something, they instruct us that something else is needed. They may introduce laws like in the Old Testament or some other way that's needed for us to be saved. They may tell us how we're to live in this world and if we live a particular way in this world that that's important that following societal norms is important and necessary. Ultimately, all these Gospels do the same thing. They downplay the seriousness of our sin. They downplay the effect that sin has on our relationship with God. And instead, they emphasize the importance of tolerance and harmony in our relationships with each other. The importance of what we do rather than what God has done for us. These are man-made religions, and following them gives power to men who cannot ever save us. So read with me what Paul has to say about those who preach a distorted gospel. Verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary 
to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul doesn't care who it is that preaches a distorted gospel. He says that if he was the one who changed his mind and started preaching one, or if an angel from heaven came and was the one who preached a distorted gospel, that they can all be accursed. They can all be eternally condemned. He literally tells them to be put under God's curse. Why? Because whoever it is, they are teaching you that you can be saved in a way that is not true. So friends, do not be enticed by anything that promises you assurance of salvation through works, through what we do, or that promises you assurance of your salvation through signs and wonders. Do not accept any other form of authority over God's authority, regardless of who they are and how well they preach. Anything besides the true gospel is man-made and lacks power for your salvation. And so I ask you, why would you? Why would you accept another gospel? What actually might lead us? What's going on? What might lead us to this? Well, read what he says in verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's quite simple. We throw away the truth and start believing a lie as soon as we seek man's approval and let man guide us in the path we should take. How many people can you think of that have walked away from their faith? How many people do you know that once loved the true gospel, lived by it, and who now find aspects of it that are difficult to stomach or who think that the Bible is outdated and no longer relevant to their situation. How many people do you know? Because my list just continues to grow. It's not a secret that statistically here in Australia more and more people have no religion. The census actually tells us this. And so in our society, Religion is becoming less and less important. And it's not just here in Australia. It's, it's a common trend throughout most developing countries. And we could attribute this to a lot of different things. Things like self-sufficiency or wealth or our sinful desires. Disappointment with how we think God should act in this world. Discouragement, feeling like we have been trying so hard and we're just getting nowhere. The list just goes on and on. What Paul warns here is of our temptation to fear man and seek his approval more than we fear God. Paul says that if we're seeking the approval of man and not God, we will inevitably find ourselves worshipping and serving man. And so he asks himself, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Because he knows that he cannot do both, and neither can we. 
We cannot seek the approval of man and God. We cannot serve two masters. See, the reason is that the reason there is only one gospel is because it comes from the one and only God. And as soon as we try and seek the approval of anyone else, we are actually turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And the consequences is that we are no longer serving Christ. And this means we are turning back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. We become slaves to them all over again. We are choosing this present evil age and to live in it over what is in store for us for the age to come. And Peter, Paul here understood exactly how difficult this can be for us. He knew how difficult it would be. It's a gospel that divides people. When he says in verse 7 that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ, he is well aware of the trouble that was brought not only on himself, but those who accept it. Because there are teachers out there who are most likely teaching, are uh, uh, accusing Paul of teaching what's called cheap grace. Meaning that Paul was making the whole matter of salvation easy. In Galatians, we see that Paul is very clear on this topic of grace. He says that once we have been accepted by God's grace, there's nothing more that we need to do because by God's grace, we are always accepted. And these other preachers weren't happy that Paul was preaching a gospel that did not require adherence to the circumcision laws, to food laws, and other Jewish laws, for that matter. And Paul will address this more as we continue on through this letter. But for us today, in the same way, we shouldn't be surprised that there are some that are opposed to God's grace, who want us to think that there is something else, there is something more that we need to do. There will always be those who tell us that we need to lean on something else to maintain our salvation. And so we're going to always be tempted to look for something else to ensure that we are saved. And so we too should not be surprised that others will come and they will tell us that there is more than what we find in the gospel. Do not believe them because it is a lie. As Paul starts this letter, a letter that will encourage us to hold fast to what we believe, a letter that will warn us not to desert him who called us in the grace of Christ. Paul wants us to remember what we are to rely on and believe. And so let's read that again from uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it turns out, what is even easier than starting a man-made religion is actually just to change the one that already exists. To change it, to make it more enticing. 
It may seem that many around us that we love and we care for are quickly deserting what we know to be true in order to follow a different gospel. And Paul says to us, this is no gospel at all because there is only one gospel. So don't be like them. Don't be led astray. Do not desert God's amazing gift of grace. Paul was astonished at how quickly the Galatian churches were deserting this gospel. And so it's my prayer that over the next few weeks, as we look at what Paul wrote to these churches in Galatia, that these words would prevent us from doing the same as them, prevent us from so quickly deserting the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to stand firm in the one true gospel that you have revealed to us. Protect us and prevent us from quickly deserting your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you might like to uh, use slido.com with the hashtag HBSP uh, to ask a question. You may also like to take a moment to reflect on what was said here. Uh, I've asked Izzy today to uh, come up and uh, sing an item for us. Uh, this item is called There is One Gospel.